Brought to you by the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. Standards Matter, a podcast about professionalism and accountability in real estate. Standards Matter, Episode 9, When to Call It a Day. The following scenario is inspired by a real professional conduct case. Some details have been altered for storytelling purposes, and we've removed all identifying information to respect the privacy of those involved. Rochelle Case of Fox Real Estate Group was new in town. She had been licensed and practicing real estate for the better part of three decades in Vancouver and hadn't realized just how much of an adjustment it would be moving her business to Salt Spring. Sure, she was looking to wind her business down and so many of her long-term clients were moving out of the hustle and bustle of the city, but the culture was just so different. Everything moved a little slower and real estate was no exception. It was weeks after hanging her license at Fox Real Estate Group that she got her first client, Al Newman. Rochelle had known Al for years and was excited to hear he had decided to retire to Salt Spring after his wife had passed. Rochelle got to work finding Al the perfect home at 321 Seaview Drive. It was spacious, had two mortgage helper suites, and a cottage in the back. It was perfect for a friendly guy like Al. He was handy and would be a great landlord, not to mention the extra income would help stretch his retirement budget. Al was on board, and Rochelle's realtor reflexes kicked in. Soon she was on the phone hunting down a showing. But that's when the first roadblock hit. My seller doesn't want to disrupt their tenants, so we'll only show the listing if your client puts in an offer. We want to know they're serious, the seller's realtor stated. Rochelle was taken aback. That just didn't happen back in Vancouver. In fact, it was against the rules. But the seller's realtor insisted. That's when she went to her broker for advice. This kicked off a series of events that would lead to an investigation and substantial fines. Welcome to the Standards Matter podcast, brought to you by the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. In each episode, we explore scenarios inspired by real professional conduct and arbitration cases to give you practical insight on how to strengthen professionalism in real estate and serve your clients better. Our professional standards advisors vet and approve all information in this podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Westaway. This episode, we're looking at a case where a client's request went a little too far and a realtor's reluctance to say no had dire consequences. Now, back to the case. The idyllic seaside setting of Salt Spring Island captured Tim Westerberg the first time he visited. After moving to the island, Tim worked for years in the tourism industry, doing his best to show off the place he loved so dearly. But a year ago, Tim decided he needed a change. After so many conversations with tourists about moving to the island, he decided to go into real estate. Licensing was tough, but he made it through, hanging his license with Chilton & Co Realty. The first few months were a blur, and soon the nest egg he had built up before his career change ran out. So when a prospect, Steph Hewitt, called Tim to ask her to list her home, Tim was more than happy to oblige. Tim knew Steph through his previous role in the tourism industry, and he knew that she was a no-nonsense type A person. He thought that she would be a good client, and soon sat down with her to discuss what services he would provide. The meeting went well, until the terms of service came up. 
Immediately, Steph demanded he lower his commission. She said she knew the market was hot, that she had a quality unit, and that it would really sell itself. Tim was taken aback by the request. He remembered back to his brokerage training and pushed back on the request, but Steph threatened to walk. Desperate for business, Tim relented. But Steph's demands didn't stop there. She explained that her home had three suites in it, a split basement and a detached cottage that were tenanted. She wanted minimal impact on her tenants and on her income from these units. She explained that the tenants had no idea the home would be going up for sale, and until she had a serious offer, she wanted to keep it that way. She wanted discretion, which meant she only wanted Tim to show the home to potential buyers who were serious enough to put an offer in. Tim was uneasy with the suggestion. He knew that the rules of cooperation stated that in order for a listing to be on the MLS, it had to be available to be shown. He began to debate this in his mind. He remembered something about five days in contingency, but he couldn't really remember the details. He thought the listing itself is available for showings, though, as long as the buyer put in an offer. That would still be within the letter of the rules, right? With that in mind, Tim caved. After a handshake and some paperwork, Tim put the listing up on the MLS. He spent hours agonizing over the description, trying to use enticing phrases like mortgage helpers and happy tenants. What he failed to mention was that not all of the suites were authorized. In the coming weeks, the calls began to trickle in. Each one would start well enough, realtors with interested clients asking questions, but all would derail when the subject of showings came up. Not until I have an offer was enough to scare away most potential buyers. Frustrated, Tim started to reconsider his approach. He needed to convince Steph to let him show the listing. At first, he thought about contacting his broker. Tim knew his broker was a seasoned professional and had given good advice before. But at this point, Tim knew at the back of his mind that he may have already violated the rules. And the last thing he wanted was to get in trouble with his boss. So... Instead, he hashed out a plea to his client. He tracked all the interest in the listing and when the interest fizzled. He built a flowchart and prepared his words carefully. He was certain that Steph would be reasonable once she saw the hard facts. But these facts didn't matter to Steph. For her, it didn't outweigh the risk to her tenants. She barely looked at Tim's chart. He could tell his words fell on deaf ears. Steph knew what she wanted to do to sell the home, and Tim's suggestions just didn't align with her vision. Tim thought about dropping Steph as a client then and there, but he didn't. He was afraid of her influence among the folks in the tourism industry, his target market. Instead, he persevered, having a few more potential buyers slip through his grasp. That was until Rochelle called. What he thought was just another buyer that may back out at his client's showing stipulation turned into a call to his broker. Tim's broker was livid. She had no idea Tim had made so many mistakes. She was embarrassed she hadn't kept a more careful eye on him. She instructed Tim to accommodate the showing request, and when the seller still would not allow it, she terminated the listing. Rochelle's broker also forwarded the complaint to the board's professional conduct committee. investigation, and consent to discipline. REBGV's Professional Conduct Committee's investigative panel reviewed the case. They found that Tim had violated Article 3 of the Realtor Code, which states, A realtor shall protect and promote the interests of his or her client. 
This primary obligation does not relieve the realtor of the responsibility of dealing fairly with all parties to the transaction. They also found he had violated sections 3.06, 3.21, and 3.23 of the Rules of Cooperation, which state, It is the responsibility of every member to provide to other members clear, accurate, and factual information concerning any listing by such member. Access to listings accepted and processed by the MLS shall be made available to all members subject to these rules of cooperation. And listings of property containing unauthorized suites will be accepted by the MLS when noted in the realtor remarks that property contains accommodation which is not authorized. The committee found that Tim's breach of the rules was serious. Tim consented to a hefty fine, a selection of mandatory courses at his expense on the Realtor Code, Rules of Cooperation, and selling tenant-occupied properties. And of course, a record of this breach on his permanent file at the board. Preventative Action We sat down with our ethics guy, Kim Spencer, to discuss what Tim could have done differently and what strategies he could have used with his client. So Kim, this might be a big question, but how do you determine when to call it a day with a client? For sure. We were talking earlier and my mind revolves around quotes because I read a lot. And uh, there's this this well-known Ben Franklin quote, drive thy business or it will drive thee. And um, I can tell you taking complaints for a living that there are complaints that we get where the member, really nice person, wanting to please everyone, the client's driving the bus, and the client puts them into an impossible spot. And sometimes there's rules broken and get punished. And it's kind of sad because you see a good person who goes through that often painful process as a result of just trying to accommodate people. And so I think a good piece of advice to remember is, look, if there's a rule, it's there for a good reason. We don't often have arbitrary rules. All the rules and the rules of cooperation are created by members with oversight by the lawyers. So it's not like you come up with arbitrary rules that don't make any sense, although I guess some members may think that. So they're there for a reason. There is really no good reason for not following a rule or allowing your client to push you over the line. It's better to say goodbye than to have your name published and be punished. All right. So this case had a few red flags for the seller's agent. What are some other red flags members should be aware of when it comes to clients? Well, following from what I just said Mm -hmm. is clients pushing you around. I mean, we we saw a lot of that um, in the multitude of complaints that that we used to have about properties getting sold before the published presentation date. I, I know that many people remember that. That's been, I hope, largely fixed with recent changes to the rules of cooperation and, you know, the irrevocable direction regarding presentation of offers. But a lot of the members who got jammed up on that thing were simply trying to accommodate their sellers. Maybe a really strong seller said, I don't care about your rule. I want to see that early offer tonight. And, um, you know, you're my agent. You have to follow my instructions. And, you know, many people, you know, we're Canadians. We, We like to do you know, we like to follow instructions. That's we true. Know, you know, all, all that nice stuff that we think about ourselves. So they get pushed into, you know, following the client's instruction. Then there's a complaint. They get jammed up. So maybe set the tone early when you're working with people. It's hard to do when you're new. It, it takes a, a little while to develop the skill. But you look your client in the eye. You let them know that you're their agent, but that you're not a pushover either. And there's lots of ways to do that. Okay. 
How often do cases like these come to the Professional Conduct Committee? And are there any commonalities to these kinds of cases? Well, if you're asking how often do complaints get made about members who get themselves into a jam when if they'd only been a little stronger with their client, they wouldn't have gotten into that jam. It's fairly often. I don't know what the percentage would be, but it's a number of complaints mm. that happen. I, I, you know, I want members to understand when they read the Professional Conduct Committee summary of a complaint, you know, certainly there, there are some files you look at and you go, oh, golly, you know, how could that have happened? And that person um, needed that discipline. But there are also quite a lot of those files where, as I said a couple of times, People got themselves, members got themselves jammed up and pushed into a corner and they just didn't know what to do. It would have been good if they'd simply called their managing broker, say, look, I'm uncomfortable with what's going on here. I don't really know what to do. I don't know how to say no. Mm-hmm. What do you suggest? Your managing broker, hopefully, would be able to give you some help there, maybe even uh, working with you with that client to try and get the client to understand something. But you know, at the end of the day, I guess... If you've got a client that's just like absolutely won't budge, well, something's going to have to give. And and that might be either bringing in an experienced person, more experienced, Mm -hmm. stronger. You know, you could do that by way of co-list, but with someone in your office or saying to the client, look, you know, I love you, but really, I don't think this is a good fit for either of us. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to release you. Uh, you could do a transfer of listing, I suppose, and and try to negotiate a referral fee from the brokerage that the client wants to now use. Uh, you'd have to disclose it and all the rest of it. Or you could just simply say, no, <laughs> we're cutting the umbilical cord. <laughs> Goodbye. Indeed. So what do you do if a realtor won't let your client view a home? What are the best steps to take? Okay, gang. Well, the, the rule number, if you want to go and look it up, and it's a long rule, so I'm not going to paraphrase it here. It's rule 3.22, rules of cooperation. And in that rule, if you read it in detail, there's there's multiple chapters in that rule. It keeps getting longer every year. But basically, here's the backdrop to what that rule talks about. The rule says that if you list a property on the MLS system, you are telling members that you will, number one, pay them the advertised commission if their buyer buys it and it closes. That's the first thing you're doing. Second thing you're doing is you're saying, I will cooperate with you. I don't care what company you're from or you know where you're from. We will cooperate with you and get you into that listing. And more than that, we will get you in there within five days. And if I, if I can't get you in there within five days, I'm going to note that in the realtor remarks mm. and... I might even have to do a delay of listing, which the name of that actually escapes me right now, but members hopefully will know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's for up to 14 days. Okay. Now, little sidebar, informally, not written anywhere. We do occasionally get questions from, you know, look, with all rules, there are going to be situations that aren't covered by the rule and that's just the way things are. Uh, So what about if the property were uninhabitable because it was a former meth lab or it was dangerous or or something like that. Well, that, that seems perfectly defensible to me that a member might say, look, you know, do a drive-by, maybe walk the lands, don't go into the property and you don't have to make an offer to do that. Or sometimes with um, revenue properties, multiple suite properties, the seller's agent will say, well, look, I've got three demonstration suites to show you, but there's 50 in the building um, so uh, if you want to see the, you know, the other 47, we're happy to do that uh, on acceptance of an offer. And you know, I don't think anyone's 
going to be making a complaint about that. That's something that you can finesse, I'm sure. But otherwise, you listen on MLS, it's residential and it's otherwise showable. You are required to let people get in there and you can't impose on them an obligation. No, you have to write an offer first. If you see that, gang, because occasionally it slips through. I mean, it ought not to slip through. The brokerage staff that enters the listing at your brokerage should see that and go, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. Uh, or the broker should see it when, when they approve the listing, but they do slip through. If you see that on the MLS system, all you have to do is just call the MLS department, let them know. The department will reach out to the managing broker and say, look, we're going to remove that remark and it must be made available for showing per the rule. Mm, of course. So does the Professional Conduct Committee take things like lack of experience into consideration when making a decision in a case like this? Well, it's hard to say. It it may. I mean, it, look, the, the people on the Professional Conduct Committee didn't just sort of swoop in from Mars. These are your colleagues. These are people in the business, long time, very experienced. They know what it's like to be a realtor working in and around the Lower Mainland. They know all of the things that happen. So they, they do have that context already in their minds when they're looking at a situation. I do think informally they, they would probably have in the back of their mind a, a different perception if they if they see a person who's a member who got jammed up and they were trying to do the right thing, they, they simply didn't know. That's quite different from a member who they might think was willful, ignored the rule, uh, didn't care, breached their agency responsibility. That, that would be a totally different thing. So yeah, to some extent, but it's hard to put a percentage on it. Right. Okay. So ultimately, Tim had a very difficult client in yeah. this case. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to new members who may be dealing with difficult clients? Yeah. Okay. So if you're dealing with a difficult client and, and you know, I have, I've had those when I was a real estate agent and, you know, I was wanting to please and I was young, I was 25. So, you know, it was hard. These folks that I was dealing with were, you know, often in their forties and fifties, which at that time to me, you know, they were ancient, they had two feet in the grave. Um, <laughs> but, and so it's hard to say no to people like that when you're a lot younger or you're inexperienced. I, I think the best advice I could give you, if you sense that that is the dynamic of the relationship. Offer the clients an opportunity for you to bring in someone with more experience or perhaps a, a different demeanor that might change the dynamic. Mm. Say, look, I'd like to uh, leverage some of the uh, experience of uh, someone I have in mind at the brokerage who I think can really bring a lot to this uh, relationship. Would you be open to me uh, working with, you know, whoever, give, give a name? Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that people would say no. Right. Sounds good. Excellent. Thank you so much, Kim. As always, we appreciate your insights into these cases. You're welcome. And good luck, everybody. That's a wrap on Episode 9 of Standards Matter. I've been your host, Andrea Westaway. We plan to regularly produce new segments to engage you in conversations about standards, accountability, and professionalism in real estate. If you have a question for us, reach out on REBGV's member Facebook group or shoot us an email at standardsmatter at rebgv.org. For more information on professionalism, including our conduct and arbitration cases, visit our member website at www.rebgv.ca. On behalf of the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Standards Matter. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. 
Brought to you by the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver.